Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening, and thank you for tuning into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse tonight. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of That's Truth. I don't know where you're listening from. I don't know whether you're listening on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Maybe you're listening to this as a podcast, or maybe you're joining us on Facebook. It doesn't matter how you're listening. We are thankful that you have joined us. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, in our studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Um, good evening, Brother Nathan. And I want to thank the persons who are listening this evening. We so much appreciate you giving us some time. And not only is it an opportunity for you to listen to this program, but this is a live interactive program for the next 90 minutes here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And we are looking forward to your interaction. Let me go ahead and thank you in advance for your interaction. And it is time to jump right back into our topic that we were discussing last week. We didn't have time to complete it, so we will pick back up. And if you weren't able to join us last week, we were discussing the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pastor started out by defining it, uh, then discussing why there's so much confusion about it, what the scripture, uh, how the scripture deals with that topic, you know, what are the agents of the Spirit's baptism, and when did the baptism of the Holy Spirit begin? We finished out last week with Pastor answering, are all believers baptized by the Holy Spirit or just a few? Uh, Pastor, any words that you want to share as we jump back into this topic before we jump into the next question? Well, I I hope that the audience uh, appreciate what we're trying to do because there's so much confusion on this matter, and in particular within certain circles where the concept is being uh, advocated that unless you speak in tongues, you're not baptized by the Holy Spirit. The uh, fantastic thing about the Bible is that uh, in connection with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's no one particular gift that uh, is exhibited by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we try try to draw that in the uh, book of Corinthians, Paul makes it very clear that every person doesn't speak in tongues. So when you make tongues a criteria as a basis to uh, um, authenticate baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're creating confusion in people's mind because they just think it's something that has to happen at some point in time and it leads to great dissatisfaction in the Christian life and some uncertainty and I suspect some insecurity as well. So I think it's important that we try to clarify that and, and I hope that we did that for the uh, the audience. 
So just to make sure I understand you correctly, you're saying that you don't have to speak in tongues in order to be baptized of well, the Holy Spirit. Not only am I saying that, the Apostle Paul says uh, clearly, he asks a hypothetical question that in the Greek language is so structured, there's only one answer. Uh, all do not speak in tongues, do they? That's what Paul says, and the answer is no. The way the Greek is structured, in the those who are familiar with the Greek language, you know there's only one answer to that question, is that all people do not speak in tongues. So if you're saying that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the sign of that is, is tongues, you're going contrary to the Pauline teaching. That's, that's the point I'm making. Uh, a lot of these things need to be clarified, and a lot of the confusion comes from the fact that people try to establish de- uh, doctrine based on a historical event. And I pointed out last time, because t- three different occasions uh, when the Holy Spirit baptized, they were speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. They assume that this is the norm. And that's the, the, the historical explanation as to why that occurred uh, helps us to understand why it was so important that it did happen because the Lord had prophesied in Isaiah, if you read it in Corinthians chapter uh, 14, that he would speak to them in different tongues. That's why on the day of Pentecost, you had this this time of speaking in tongues. But then when you move over to Samaria, a different culture, basically, you have to have the same thing happening. Otherwise, the Samaritan church, which already had a rival temple at Mount Gerizim, already had a, a, a rival law, etc. It is very easy for them to have differentiated and created the Samaritan church. And then we come over to the Gentiles. They have the same experience. Again, you can't have a, a Samaritan church, a Jewish church, and a Gentile church because three different events occurred. They have to be very similar so that it authenticates that this is of God and the church is supposed to be one. So you can understand why once it started with the Jews, it had to continue with the others so to authenticate that we're dealing with one gospel, we're dealing with one church, so as to not to create the confusion. But because of those three historical events, people now associated that and said that every time it happens, you must speak in tongues. And they missed the whole purpose of it because after that, we don't find when people are baptized that they speak in tongues. Go to the Philipp- uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, he, wasn't, he didn't speak in tongues, right? Right. Right. So... Um, I think the confusion comes, um, and it's hard to change, Nathan. Once you have been taught something within an institution or denomination, and it becomes a standard bearer of that denomination, when you come to Scripture, then you discover that this is not so. It's very hard to change because, number one, sometimes, I want to say this, people's salaries and gratuities are all wrapped up in the whole system. So they don't want to shake the boat because to do that would unravel the whole thing. And therefore, they, they, they close their eyes to truth in the interest of, of self-interest. And that must never be the case. But uh, we need to clarify truth, and I hope that we've done that. And this is a very direct question, Pastor, but I know in the past you've said that Satan is all about confusing what God is doing and what God is teaching as far as truth. Mm-hmm. Am I saying this too firmly to say that there are instances where Satan is behind this false information about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to disrupt God's work? Well, not just the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but this whole matter of speaking in tongues. I've mentioned uh, before that what this has done, it has created an ecumenical movement so that People come together based on that experience. So now you would have uh, people that hold very clear false doctrines. Uh, Mormons speak in tongues, Catholics speak in tongues, Baptists speak in tongues, Pentecostals speak in tongues, uh, Lutherans speak, everybody speaking. So the common denominator now is tongues. So therefore we can, we can put aside doctrine in the interest of a common experience. 
And if you're going to have unity, unity must be based on truth, not on not on uh, experience, on truth. Because even when experience uh, is there, if it contradicts truth, we follow truth, not experience. You remember, there's an incident where Peter was writing, and he said that we were in the mountain and we saw his glory. And then he said, but we have a, sure, a much more sure word of prophecy. <laughs> in other words, Peter is saying, we got something even sure than what we saw. We've got the word. And that's the point. The word is what is the standard for the church. Because the moment you allow experience to, to, to uh, dictate what is truth, you end up in confusion because this person may have that experience, that experience. But the truth must be consistent. And so Holy Spirit, remember, that gave us the Bible. He's inspired scripture. He's not going to lead us contrary to truth. If you did not get to hear last week's episode and you would like to hear the information that we discussed, we'd love for you to go back and listen to it in the podcast format. It's really easy to get to. You can just go to Google and type That's Truth Podcast and it'll pop up. You choose your preferred provider, whether that's Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Uh, Spotify, whatever it may be, and you can click on episode 138 uh, entitled Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Another way you can get to it is you can go to our website, www.radiolighthouse.org. You'll see a big background picture of a lighthouse. Go ahead and scroll down to the second picture that you see, which is a microphone. Right in the middle of the screen, you'll see a circle that says podcast. Click on that, and then the top podcast that is listed there will be That's Truth. And you can click on the most recent episode, which was episode 138, and you can listen to last week's information about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 741. We're going to jump right back into this topic. Pastor, when does the baptism of the Holy Spirit occur? Well, I think if you study uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22, and then also Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it's very, very clear that when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and is truly regenerated and become justified by God, that they are placed at the moment of their faith in Christ, into the body of Christ. How that is done is explained in Corinthians chapter 12. It's the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit that baptizes the believer into the body of Christ. So it it occurs at the moment of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Just like sealing takes place then, and regeneration takes place there, and anointing takes place there, the baptism takes place at the moment of conversion because it's that that puts us into the body of Christ. Nobody is a Christian who doesn't belong to the body of Christ is not united to Christ. So that work has to take place at the point of regeneration. All right, and you said there that no one's a Christian who doesn't belong to the body of Christ. Put that in layman's terms. If I'm listening and I'm saying, I've never listened to the Radio Lighthouse before, I don't claim to be a Christian, but I am intrigued by what you're saying. What do I need to do to become a Christian? Well, to become a Christian is what the Bible teaches us. It says that we must believe in Christ and we must repent of our sins. 
Um, if you go to John chapter 3, where our Lord is having the account with Nicodemus, he makes it very, very clear that it is also the work of the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, he said the wind blows where it lists if you don't know where it comes from, but he indicates that which is born of the flesh is born of the flesh, that which is born of the spirit of spirit. So this is a spiritual birth that takes place when the Holy Spirit brings conviction in your life, points out that you are a sinner and that you need to repent, and then points to you that the solution to your sin problem is Jesus Christ. So you, you're brought to faith in Christ as you come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But let me just emphasize uh, this matter, uh, Nathan, that repentance to my mind is the missing ingredient that is not being emphasized today when it comes to the preaching of the gospel. We are telling people, come forward, bow your head, say a little prayer. We are not emphasizing the importance of dealing with this whole matter of sin. You're saved from sin, so you're not saved to go back into sinning. And because that element of repentance is missing, there are people who come forward and they never really seriously repent of their sins. They just come forward and say, well, I believe in Jesus. But the question of the sin issue is not dealt with properly. So we can end up with people who have, have people in churches who would say, yes, I, I believe in Jesus. But if you ask them, was there a point in your life when you really came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you understood the need of repentance? Many of them hesitate. They don't seem to understand that part of it. And I think this is a gross uh, misrepresentation of the gospel, and I think that it is damning in the sense that people uh, not going through repentance uh, go on believing that they've really put their faith and trust in Christ when they haven't, because genuine faith includes that element of repentance. You can't have saving faith without understanding that what God saves you from is your sin. And that's where repentance comes in. So I think that's important. For the person who is a new believer, just recently accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, where would you suggest that they open up their Bible and begin reading? I think uh, I really would recommend, uh, I know I heard recently somebody recommending Genesis. I don't recommend Genesis. I recommend uh, that you go to the book of John. I I think John is one of those basic fundamental books that uh, there's so much truth in there that, and there's so much, and, this, and again, he's meeting people and dealing with people in the book of John. I think it, it gives you an idea uh, what this thing is all about, and I think it, it cements your faith, who Christ is, which is, to my mind, the most important thing, understanding that it is Christ that makes Christianity the unique religion that it is, and that other religions can survive without their leader because he's dead. We cannot have Christianity without Christ because the very essence of Christianity is Christ. Yeah. And John, in no other, no better way, I think, no other New Testament writer, uh, speaks so profoundly of Christ. And uh, I think that's where we recommend that, we, we, that the person starts. How frequent is the Spirit's baptism? Well, baptism of the Spirit, as I said, it's about bringing the believer and joining the believer to Christ, who's the head, making them part of the body of Christ. So when it comes to the individual, this only baptism occurs once. That's that conversion. It's not something that needs to be repeated and repeated. What we find in the Bible is that filling is something that's repeated because I can show you when we go if we go to the book of Acts that the disciples were filled more than once. So we must not confuse filling with baptizing. Uh, baptizing is not really what I might call an experiential work uh, experience. It is something that would uh, our position in Christ and place us in Christ, just like uh, sealing and and uh, anointing and just like regenerating. Uh, so I am s- um, pointing out that if if you are talking about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it occurs at conversion 
and it occurs only once because it's only then that you're put in the body of Christ, you're joined to the head, and you become part of our Lord. I think a natural flow out of this whole discussion is to discuss what are the results of the Spirit's baptism. Well, there are three basic results. Uh, One is that I am made a member of the body of Christ. I mentioned that in Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. That is very clear that he's the head, we become the body. The second thing is that it unites us to Christ in what uh, Romans chapter 6 talks about in what is called... um, uh, co-crucifixion, co-burial, and, and co-resurrection. And this has to do with the the sin nature, so that when the Holy Spirit uh, baptizes and puts us in the body of Christ, uh, that work of, of Christ, everything that Christ did, everything that Christ is, becomes ours. So we share in his death, we share in his resurrection, and that is pointed out in the book of, of Romans. And if anybody's listening to the broadcast on the our Grace uh, sermons, we dealt with that on, on Sunday morning, and I don't want to go over that in the radio tonight uh, again, but it really talks about the fact how that, that miraculous supernatural work that takes place when you're baptized in the body of Christ means that a real change has taken in respect to your sin nature. Uh, That's why Paul said that you're now dead to sin. It means that there's been a separation between your sin nature and your new nature. So you don't have to be dominated by sin or be controlled by habitual sin any longer. This is the great truth of Romans chapter 6. And and Paul points out that we make that practical in our lives and experiential lives when we reckon that to be so. We take that by faith, we believe it, and we begin to act on it in our lives. That's when we begin to have victory over our besetting sin and our habitual sin. So it's a matter of uniting us uh, with Christ in His co-crucifixion uh, and co-resurrection. Uh, and then thirdly, um, it really establishes four new relationships. Number one, uh, it gives me a new identity. I am now in Christ. It gives me a new position. I am now in in the body of Christ. It gives me a new union. Uh, In other words, I am now joined to Christ, and it gives me a new association. I'm out of the old Adam, and now put in the new Adam. So those are four major changes that take place when a person uh, uh, goes through the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up this topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, before we move to another topic this evening, do you have any final thoughts or words of advice, maybe for someone who might be discussing or uh, maybe debating, might be a word in some instances, uh, this topic with uh, a fellow believer? No, I, I would only say this, that I have read some writers, what I would consider to be fundamental writers, and they themselves confuse the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the filling of the Holy Spirit, as though this is something they're waiting for. Uh, I think on one occasion I was reading something about Moody's account when he had this special experience that transformed his life, um, that was pretty much described in terms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the ba- that's the filling of the Spirit. Mm. And I think so there are there is some confusion uh, with people in regards to this matter. And that's why careful, thoughtful exegesis of the Bible is so essential to the proper understanding of Bible doctrines. And, uh, you know, we must always be prepared to reevaluate uh, when we learn biblical truth, we must be willing to, to change our minds and change our attitudes once we get hold of what the real biblical truth is. And, and sometimes we f- people find that difficult to do because they become so ingrained and it's such an established thing within a denomination or within a group that uh, virtually it's, it, it's um, I would say it's 
profoundly diff- difficult for people to come out of, of those kind of teachings once they've been taught that. And for people to to say I'm wrong and I misinterpret that, not very few, many people are willing to make that kind of an admission. And because of spiritual pride, intellectual pride, uh, some people are kept in ignorance. And of course, that eventually affects how they view uh, God and, and their own experience in the Christian life. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It airs every Tuesday evening at 7.30 until 9 p.m. and then rebroadcast on Saturday afternoon from 3.30 until 5 p.m. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.51. There are a number of ways that you can interact with us on the program. You can call and be put live on the air by calling one 268 462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to one 1454 I'll give that to you again as you get your phone unlocked. WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. You can also go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed and then comment your questions or your concerns and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Now, as we have wrapped up the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and move into another topic, uh, our topic that we are picking up now applies to all of us. Whether we're wealthy or poor, whether you're conservative or liberal in your worldview, it's a topic that has, unfortunately, split churches, strained marriages, destroyed friendships and partnerships. You say, what in the world is this topic? Our topic that we are discussing now is debt, financial debt. Pastor, I'm sure you have, through your many years of experience in pastoring and counseling, have seen many often probably sad stories in relation to debt? Well, not only in past years, current years too, mm-hmm. because a lot of uh, financial, a lot of counseling when it comes to families, uh, a great extent of it has to do with the mismanagement of finances and the strain of having astronomical debts over the head and that is creating havoc within the relationship and how to manage that and how to control it and bring it um, to a level where you, you can handle it. That, in many cases, marriage counseling is, is one of the major, major issues in marriage counseling. People are spending more than they make, and they're spending as though there's no tomorrow. And by the time uh, they cash themselves, and by the way, there are people who are uh, have never sat down and, and done a budget, never examined what's really happening in the home. So they keep complaining, 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 especially normally it's the wife because normally uh, it's her needs and it's the family needs. But they've never really sat down and, and really discussed what is coming in and what we're spending. And sometimes when you give them that as an exercise, they are totally shocked what is really happening. Uh, and so it, it kind of... I don't want to say it, it, it's comical, it's amusing, but it, it's, it's heartbreaking to think that um, people can be going through a problem and never really look at it very carefully and really examine what is happening. They keep on complaining and keep on complaining without putting the figures out so that people can see what is happening. I remember even in my own life, um, I'm a pastor, um, I've 
had my kids when I was in St. Lucia. Um, there are times when they would come home and, you know, they might see the guy with Nike shoes and this kind of thing. I've always sat down with them. I can't, be, I can't buy you Nike shoes. I can't buy you this. And many times, I mean, I would have to sit down and explain that this is what the income is. This is what I spend on this. This is what I spend on this, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I've never had them complain because once it was explained to them the limitations of your income and how it is spent, children normally have an understanding. But it's when you don't explain what is happening and they're comparing you with the other person they're going to school with and their parents, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, it, it can actually uh, create a strained relationship that you are not meeting their needs. But there are times when I've had to do that, and, and that's just a reality. And I think I wish that more parents would do that when the kids are complaining and complaining and complaining. And I think it would help the situation sometimes if you let them know what's really happening. Do you think children are wise enough to see through when a parent may say, I don't have the money to do that for you, but they're doing the same thing, whether it be buying, uh, this just came to my mind, but the the name brand clothing or a boat or a vehicle? Or- yeah, well, again, children are smart to do that. I mean, I mean, if you're telling me you can't buy me uh, whatever it is, and that next time I'm seeing you buy an expensive car, you buy an expensive watch, you buy an expensive phone, you're sending the wrong message. So, you you know, you got to make sure that you're, whatever you're saying is consistent with how you're living and how you're acting. And that's where kids can see that. Then they understand that daddy or mommy is really being truthful. Uh, but it, it's it's a big problem, a massive problem uh, within marriage. And it's very, very common. I've got to believe that even going into this Christmas season, I mean, we're, Christmas is, I believe, less than three weeks away now. There's got to be a good portion of society that spends more than they should on Christmas gifts and on uh, events. Listen, uh, this problem of debt is almost a universal pandemic. Uh, people in, in society are almost being buried with a tsunami of debt. It's a real massive problem, Nathan. As a matter of fact, I was uh, part of looking into this subject. I was thinking that even the your country, the great American country, uh, to think that they are now in a situation where they're at a debt level that's almost impossible to repay, $21 trillion. I'm not too sure. I don't even understand I don't that think number. anybody understands that number. As yeah. a matter of fact, I would suggest to people who don't understand to Google it and they get some simple explanations as to what a trillion dollars is. And then you begin to understand that America can never repay this debt. I think it's going to be an albatross around the neck of the American economy. And I do think that like every super nation, superpower, is going to go into demise, not from external forces, uh, but from internal rot. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen to your economy. For example, Nathan, the average American home owes $137,000. The average American home, okay? The average American credit card user owes $17,000. The total debt for households in America is $14 trillion. And the average American spends 125% of its income. Well, how does that make sense? (laughs) That just tells you it's a matter of debt. It's it's a very, very serious problem. But America is just a microcosm of what is happening in the the Western world because most Western democracies are are drowning in debt because of the type of economies that we have. It's a consumer-based economy that is designed to create consumer spending, and that spending far exceeds what people 
can afford or what people make. So it actually facilitates this debt crisis that we're in. It's a very serious problem. Did you say the average American home spends 125% of their income? Yep. Average. Average. I know the home that I grew up in sure didn't do that, so that means <laughs> that, someone's spending more than that's why. That is why they found the debt. The average is it's $14 trillion, right? And that's why the average home owes $137,000. Now, mm-hmm. when you think about that, now, again, the, the problem a lot of times is that I think if these figures are made known probably to the public, and that's the problem with statistics. It, it, it's, it's there, but it's not something that is discussed openly so that people can, for example, in the Caribbean, for example, there's a paucity of statistics. So I can't give you that data that I can give you for America. You can go online and get everything about America, but to get that from the Caribbean so we can actually discuss what's really happening in our country, the, the, the debt problem, uh, you're doing it in a situation where there is a modicum of, of information and the statistical data is just missing, so you can't do it in any great depth. But it's a problem not only in America, it's a global problem, and especially in the Western democracies that are consumer-driven, uh, that is creating part of the debt problem. So debt isn't just a problem for wealthy nations? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, um, t- the, the whole global situation uh, is dependent on borrowing. The whole the whole economies of the world uh, is dependent on borrowing and uh, because of that um, you've got this 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 kind of, of massive debt as a matter of fact um, there are several things that have driven us to this situation globally uh, let me just highlight a few things one Nathan is the irresponsible consumer spending I mean it's really it's really gotten out of out of, out of, out of control that people are not spending based on their income they're spending based on their desires and, and based on what is being advertised and what is being promoted. They're not looking, can we afford this? The other thing is the what I call the immoral advertising agencies that create discontent and create uh, needs and wants that are not there, but they create it themselves. And to my judgment, this is creating a covetous spirit. So I see the advertising agencies uh, as, as immoral agencies uh, provoking a discontent and promoting and uh, creating wants that are that are not there. The other thing is the greedy bankers. Again, bankers make uh, um, ludicrous bonuses based on the paper money that they lend out, and many many times that helps to create the debt. And then there's the our whole economic Western system that I mentioned is uh, consumer driven. People are encouraged to spend whether it's desirable or necessary. This expenditure drives demand. This demand fuels supply, and demand and supply is what drives the economy for goods and services. And uh, of course, consumer want always want better products. They always want more sophisticated service, and they want um, increasing diverse forms of pleasure and leisure. And that's part of the economy. And the third, thing, the other thing, the fourth thing I said to is what I call timid governments. And what I mean by that, Nathan, is that. Sometimes government knows what needs to be done, but they don't have the will uh, to take the the hard measures. For example, all central banks basically control the interest rates. Interest rates is what pretty much dis- de- uh, deters or encourages borrowing. You lower interest rates, you're going to get people borrowing. Of course, that borrowing, whether by consumers or producers, are going to fuel the economy. But again, that can lead to inflation because the more demand there is, the higher the prices go, as you would know. And and the supplier now costs more. So everything escalates, as it were. Um, 
So if they don't control the interest rates, if you increase the interest rates, it will decrease demand. And that, and it's, but often, even though governments know this, because of political factors and other pressures that they face, they're not prepared to intervene in the marketplace to try to get some kind of control and balance on this whole thing. So this whole thing escalates. Most governments are concerned about the economy growth. They're concerned about full employment. Uh, they're concerned about improved standard of living. And of course, they're always concerned about the infrastructure. They're not so much concerned on people's debt and going into debt, et cetera, et cetera. So I think because governments are so timid, and they're not willing to do what is needed to, to really get a harness on the problem. They help escalate the whole problem, and the things worsen and worsen and worsen and worsen until eventually everything is, collapses. I think that is what is happening, and I think those are the, some of the, the forces that are really um, helping to create this man. The other thing I would mention here, I should have also, it's also these um, easy credit card agencies that uh, makes credit so easy. And <laughs> the thing about credit is that it almost seems that you got free money yeah. at the time you enjoy, but you don't realize that it has to be paid back in, in the future. So I think those are some of the things that influence this whole matter. Pastor, we have two questions that have come in via WhatsApp from Antigua. Hi, good night, gentlemen. A question, Pastor: Do you have any idea how many of the people, how many of the people follow Moses when he came down from the mountain? I don't have any any. Um, particular um, number but we do know that um, he there were people that when he went up into the mountain because he was delayed we know that uh, Aaron himself created a, a great mistake he um, listened to the people and they said make us a god and of course the only god that they knew was the god in Egypt which was one of the the, the, the cow god uh, and of course he um, took the gold and he, he did that and then when Moses confronted him he said he threw the gold into the fire and the, and the, and the, and the cow came out. <laughs> it's one of the most humorous. I mean, the, God must have a sense of humor but to, to, to include that because it's so comical that he would make that statement. But then we learned that uh, all of that was going on. There was Bacchanal going on. There was music. It led to immorality. And uh, and Moses came down and, and Moses had to take some very stern measures. But in terms of knowing how many, I don't have any statistical data that specifies the amount of people that followed Moses. We know many of them died at that moment because he demanded that everyone that did that. Um, and then he put them in the, uh, he ground the, uh, the the golden calf into into um, like dust and made them, threw it in the water and made them drink it. He was so angry. So I, I can't, I can't uh, make a definitive answer in terms of the, the, the number of people that uh, do that. I, can't, I don't think it's statistic, the statistics are there in the Bible either. Next question that came in. Good evening. Does it matter who baptizes? And the reason I'm asking is, can an individual baptize himself or herself? I'm asking this question if that individual is living in a country where Christianity is against the law or is paralyzed. Um. That's an interesting question, I must admit. Very interesting question. I am, first of all, disinclined to suggest a person can self-baptize themselves. Um, I think it's always important for a person to be associated with a church. Um, that I think we've got to understand that we're not supposed to be lone rangers. We are part of the body of Christ. Uh, it is possible a person to be living in a Muslim country, for example, and be brought to faith in Jesus Christ, and there's no church around. Um, 
I, I would suggest that that person either try to migrate or wait until there's a, a body of believers. Baptism is not something essential to salvation. And if there's not a person there to baptize that individual, I would perhaps caution them because you have to be associated with a, a, a group or, or Christians. And normally baptism is the avenue whereby you're admitted into the church. So I, uh, that's what I, that's my first um, suggestion, and my my my, my um, which I think is reasonable. Uh, I think the urgency of wanting to baptize is probably based on the fact that the person might be entertaining the idea that this is an essential element of salvation. It's a matter of obedience, but again, I, I do feel that there's allowance there because there's no person there to baptize. I think it'd be good to uh, maybe even start a, a group of other get other people converted. And, um, you know, somehow the Lord would lead someone to you or to your group uh, that could help you resolve this problem. But I don't think it is advisable for a person to baptize themselves. Thank you very much to the individuals who sent in those very thought-provoking questions. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.07. There is still 50 minutes left in the program tonight. Go ahead and encourage someone else to tune in to That's Truth. If you haven't already, send a WhatsApp, a text message, give a call. Uh, walk over to your neighbor's house, knock on the door, encourage them to tune into That's Truth and ask their questions on the program tonight. We are here to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. As we get back to this topic of debt, Pastor, I know there are individuals who are listening to this program tonight who say, I find myself in debt. Uh, I may or may not have all the answers as to how I got there. But, Pastor, does the Bible really give me the practical advice needed to address this topic of debt? Yeah, I think in the... uh I think you might be jumping the gun there. Oh, yeah, I, I'm just more introducing oh, oh, the topic. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, uh, I think we'll point out some principles in um, in the Bible that uh, help us to, to deal with that. Now, remember, the Bible is not an exhaustive financial book. We've got to understand that. So if you're looking for how to put the debit column and the credit column and, and how to negotiate a mortgage and so on, you're not going to find it in the Bible. But there are several biblical principles that are there as guidelines for you to financially manage your uh, business or your uh, personal affairs in such a way that you don't bring discredit or disrepute uh, to the name of Christ. So there are biblical principles that we find in Scripture that assist us as believers to know how we should handle debt and uh, um, borrowings, etc., etc., especially the book of Proverbs. It's a very, very practical book that deals with this matter. So there are biblical principles that impact as a matter of fact, let me go next step further, Nathan. There's not an area of our lives or not a situation that we will face at some point that is not some biblical principle that will help the believer. Remember it says... That's a bold statement. Uh, I, a, a bold statement, but an unapologetic statement. The Bible says that God has given to us all that pertains to life and godliness. It's just that we have to discover what the principle is, but there are guiding principles to deal with every problem any person would ever face in life. That is the confidence that I have and not just me, by the way, that people who hold to biblical truth and take the Word of God seriously, that's the kind of confidence we have in God's Word. Whether you have a question about debt or maybe it's a question about life, about uh, the Bible, feel free to call in one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. You can WhatsApp or text your question to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. 
If you find yourself in debt, uh, please stay tuned. We will be discussing these biblical principles later in the program. Just wanted to whet your appetite as we jump into this very practical topic. Pastor, here's a loaded question for you. Is all debt wrong? Uh, there are, there's some debt that um, is unavoidable and uh, some debt that is, I might say the word justifiable as well. Uh, there's such a, for example, um, I think justifiable debt is debt that we incurred for a good reason or good cause. For example, a mortgage. Okay. Not many people have save enough money that they can just go on the market and buy a house for $300,000 or 400000 The reality is that's not real unless you have a rich, rich uncle or rich father or you inherit something else. Normally people have to uh, own a home uh, by going to a mortgage at normally between 20 and uh, 25 years, maybe 30 years. So, but that's a debt. And I think that's a good debt because it, 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 um, if you're 30 or whatever, by the time you're 50, you own your own home, you can use it as collateral, et cetera, et cetera. It gives you a sense of security, gives your family a sense of security. So I think that's the other thing, paying for education. Uh, education today is very expensive. And if you're going to do a degree overseas or you're going to increase with uh, first degree or second degree, uh, most cases, unless your family has, is, is reasonably well off and who have been saving, et cetera, et cetera, uh, but generally speaking, um, the, the money is not there and normally encourage getting a loan so you can complete your education. I think that is a justifiable uh, debt. There are, for example, also a person who is a, a tradesman. Uh, he doesn't want to use a handsaw any longer. He doesn't want to use a chisel any longer. I mean, there are all kinds of sophisticated tools that you can get, or even a mechanic. Uh, you've got all kind of electronic equipment you can get that can diagnose a problem in a car rather than you having to go through just the, the formality of doing it and the regular way of doing it. I think a person who incurs debt uh, in that way again, I think that's a good good uh, purpose, and I think that is reasonable, and I think that's justifiable debt. You were mentioning education. If I'm going to go into debt, or if my child is going to go into debt to pursue a degree, should I have a plan for how uh, what the average income would be for that degree that uh, that I'm earning, as so that I can pay it back, so I don't get a million dollar debt for a psychology <laughs> degree? Well, listen, that that's the dilemma we find not only in America but in the Caribbean now. That one of the degrees that people are just if they can't, I don't want to say that this might. I'm not trying to demean this profession mm-hmm. now, okay? But one of the things is that when you can't do well in the sciences or you can't do well in in, in, in the literature or the arts, whatever it is, people are now going into the social sciences, especially psychology. We've got more psychology there than we can ever use them, <laughs> to be honest with you. And the problem with psychology is that the more psychology we've got, the more problems we've got because psychology is based on a false anthropology. If you don't understand man and you're trying to formulate teachings about man, you, you don't understand the fundamental problem with man, you always come up with wrong conclusions. But I think it's important if a person wants to do a degree and your parent are going to help <coughs> uh, fund that degree, <coughs> I think it's important to sit down and discuss uh, what they want to do. 
do they have the aptitude for it uh, to do that degree? Uh, do they have the skills? Do you can you see that person in that kind of a function? Uh, and, and make sure they're not just getting a degree for the sake of a degree. Because after you get a degree, then you're home for five years. You can't find a job because the degree that you've got is not related to what the, the available job market. So you now have to carry that burden. For all these years, you're hoping that when you help your child, that when your child starts to work, he helps. And by the way, I would recommend that, <laughs> that uh, you tie it into the fact that your child will assume the debt as soon as he starts to work. I've known of situations where Christian parents have done that. They've gone all the way, assumed the debt for the child. The debt, child promised that they will come back and pay the debt. Never came back. The debt look at albatross around the parents' head. I'm telling you, I've seen that. I know it has happened. And I think that is, is a terrible um a terrible way of dealing with the parents, but that happens. So parents have to be wise that while they want to help the kids, uh, and let them know that um, they have to fit uh, foot the bill uh, or part of the bill, and you're not just going to carry everything over and try to tie that in somehow. But um, I think it's important, uh, Nathan, that you sit down and, and discuss that matter because, uh, again, what's the use of having a degree if it doesn't help you in life? And just to say, well, I got a degree... It, it uh, you also got a big debt as well, and, and I think that's important. Pastor, we have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, good evening. Good evening, good evening. Mr. Williams. How are you doing? Good. Thanks very much. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it today. Okay, <laughs> Thank you so very much, yes. <laughs> we should die. I'm doing well. Good to hear you. How are you doing? Good God. Uh, Pastor, I want to go ahead with tonight with the baptism of John. Uh-huh. And when Paul has been in them, if they haven't received the Holy Ghost, yes. they haven't heard such things. Right. And lower down when Paul, they, they eat hands on them and they receive the Holy Ghost. Right. Can I mean, we the Holy Ghost by laying hands uh-huh. somebody. Yeah, but again, you got to understand the situation there with that uh, that group of people. I think it's in Acts chapter nineteen, where Paul meets this group, and um, um, Paul discovers that these are what you call Jews of the diaspora. They had come to Jerusalem, and uh, they were somehow living there for a while. They were sat under like John's disciples, and then they moved away from Israel and they went into this part of the world. But they during the interim period, Christ had come on the scene. Christ had been crucified, etc., etc. These are people who were not aware of all that had taken place. They just knew that they were disciples of John. When Paul meets them, uh, Paul discovers that they don't even know what Christian baptism is. And that's why, even though they were baptized by John... Now, remember, John's baptism is not Christian baptism. John's baptism is what they call the baptism of repentance. When a person was baptized by John, he was indicating that he understood the Messiah's coming. To prepare for the Messiah, he's baptized, indicating that he's turning away from his sin and awaiting the Messiah. That's what John's baptism was, called the baptism of repentance. Uh, so these people are not um, didn't, uh, didn't know that. Paul explained to them the gospel. Uh, they understand who the Messiah is and Christ is, and then he lays his hand on them, and they are baptized. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Again, the whole question there is a matter of authenticating. Every time the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, is a, a matter of authenticating. It's authenticating in Acts chapter 2. 
uh, authenticating Peter is the one who was given the the uh, the keys to the kingdom. Is also authenticating that what is taking place in Pentecost is in line with what was prophesied in Isaiah that the Lord would speak to Israel in tongues. Then when he went to Samaria, where you've got this this other group that believe, and the church learns that Philip has been there, Samaritans believe. But here's the question: Can Samaritans really become Christians because the Samaritans are so opposed to Judaism and they've got their own rivals worshiping Mount Gerizim and they've got their own law. So they need to authenticate that this is real. Peter, the one that is um, given the keys to the kingdom, he goes to Samaria. And again, as a result of Peter being there and laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit comes uh, back to the Holy Spirit. again. And then he goes to Cornelius. Uh, who is a Gentile and again the message are authenticated that Peter is the, the, the one chosen of God to carry the keys but also that the Gentiles are accepted the Jews on an equal basis into the kingdom of God so it's authenticated there again now we come to these Jews they're talking about in Acts chapter 19 who have had the experience of uh, John's baptism but hasn't haven't fully grasped the full doctrine concerning the Messiah who's come his death his burial his resurrection etc etc that is explained that is preached they believe but to authenticate the genuineness of this um, thing again, you've got the, an apostle chosen by God to lay his hands, uh, just like Peter laid his hands, and there was the Holy Spirit was given. Even so, Paul, because Paul has now become the apostle to the Gentiles. It's interesting, by the way, that Paul gets converted in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is the first the Gentile is, is, is saved. But the Lord doesn't send Paul. He sends Peter because Peter is the one that will open the kingdom. So he opened the kingdom to the Jews. He opened the kingdom to the Samaritans. And then he opened the kingdom to the, to, the, to the Gentiles. But after that has happened now, Paul is now used. Uh, uh, because P- Peter's ministry has now been fulfilled. What God had told would happen. So Paul is now able to do exactly what Peter did. Uh, and I think it was important. And this also vindicates and authenticates the Apostle Paul's ministry because you remember that there was some doubt as to whether Paul was a genuine apostle. Even some of the church members would not believe that Paul was genuinely saved. As a matter of fact, Paul had to be let down of a window because uh, he was so scared for his life because the disciples really didn't think he was real. But the fact that what Peter did, he's able to do, is now authenticating Paul's call and Paul's ministry. So he does the same thing. That's why those kind of things happen. Now, once the apostle goes off the scene, the Holy Spirit now is a it's a uh, at conversion. He himself does the baptizing work. There's no need for anybody to put their hands on because there's no apostolic succession. He now takes on that ministry himself. But you can see why Paul would be given that authority because it vindicates and authenticates that Paul has been called of God to be a true apostle. This man who was a persecutor, an injurious man, a person who was a blasphemer, not, not even the church believed. Now the Lord authenticates his ministry by allowing him to do the same thing that Peter was able to do. But, 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 uh, but you cannot receive the Holy Spirit until you, the Holy Ghost, until you, you repent, isn't it? Well, right, but that's what, how you get saved. You don't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until you're saved. How you're saved? You're saved by repenting and putting your faith and trust in Christ. It's just that when you're sealed, when you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit when you repent and put your faith and trust in Christ. When you're anointed with the Holy Spirit so that nobody needs to teach you and it helps you to understand Scripture, is when you are saved. There are certain ministries that take place the moment you're saved. Regeneration is one. Sealing is one. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is one. 
and the anointing. Those are four different ministries that take place at the point of regeneration. There are other ministries that uh, take place after regeneration, like when it comes to sanctification, uh, the matter of the filling of the Spirit. That is something that takes place. And filling of the Spirit means the control of the Spirit, by the way. It doesn't mean that He pours into your head. It just means that He controls you. Like when it says the believers were filled with fear, it doesn't mean that fear was filled uh, filled in. It means that fear began to control them. So the idea of filling of the Spirit must not be thinking of something poured into you. The idea is filling you to the point where He begins to control your life more and more. And uh, so, 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 then, then people join the party that preach and baptize. They, they, they were Christians, didn't they? Yeah, they would because they they understood the truth at that point in time. God deals with me with what truth, what truth God has revealed to me, and I put my faith and trust in that truth God has revealed. What John taught was that he was the forerunner of the Messiah. The Messiah is coming, he's going to set up his kingdom. They heard that, and they were there un- under John's ministry. But we're not too sure what happened. But somehow they either immigrated or they went back to where they used to live, and now they're in a different location. They haven't learned that the Messiah has not only come, but he's died, he's, he's been resurrected, etc., etc. Paul meets them, and they're still living under the idea of John being John's disciple and following John's baptism. Paul explains what has happened to them. The, the, the truth dawns on them. They accept the truth, and then they're baptized, uh, and Paul lays his hand to receive the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what took place. Okay, okay brother? Yeah, thanks for the explanation. Yes, God bless. Thank and thanks so much for calling again. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Have a great evening. Pastor Murphy, we have a couple of questions that have come in. A WhatsApp question from Antigua. You are a true Christian from your heart. Why the Spirit has to die with the body and wait till God come to raise us, to take us to heaven? Why can't we die and go to heaven at the same time? Well, because redemption includes not just the Spirit. It involves the body. The body has to be redeemed. So um, the fact is that that, we are told that that will only take place. Now, you don't... um, decide God's agenda we accept God's agenda for what God has revealed Uh, Christianity is not just about what I can reason out or what my reason tells me Uh, Christianity is about what God has revealed to me what God has revealed to me is not contrary to my reason but I must not allow my reason to dictate how God must operate. So that's how God operates, and we are confined to how God operates. So trying to figure out why uh, he doesn't take us directly, whatever it is, uh, he doesn't take the body directly, um, that is part of God's domain. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children, but the things that he has maintained is for his own purpose. And I suspect that in eternity, part of the thrill of eternity is trying to get a lot of the things that we don't understand finally explained. I must, let me just use an illustration. I've been trying to understand electricity now for years. I still don't understand it. I be very. I read the books. They tell me I don't understand why, how it is forced, why it is forced that way. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. But again, I, I am puzzled because I want to know how really this thing works. Uh, so I am puzzled. So if I'm dealing with something that is a, a natural phenomenon that I don't understand, 
how in the way I'm going to understand a God who is so much infinite than I am and my mind can't wrap itself around God. So I've got to humble myself before God and accept his revelation as to how he operates. Not, not that they're not things that will bother me sometimes, but it's all coming back to the matter of humbling myself before God and acknowledging that He's God. And that the time is coming, the day is coming, when a lot of the things we don't comprehend is going to be explained. And I think this is part of the delight of eternity because there's so many questions I have and you have. And it is like God finally giving us some answers that, what if there were no need to find answers? Don't you think it might seem in some way a little bit boring? Mm. <laughs> so I think that our inquisitive mind, I think there are a lot of things that are wrapped up in why God does do things the way He does. I think eternity would unfold that to us. So let us, at this stage, humbly accept what He's revealed to us, and let us live within the confines of His Word, and uh, knowing that He knows best, and one day He will satisfy all our questions and all our queries. What's up? Question from Antigua. Pastor, who has the authority to baptize? Well, generally that authority is given to the church. Um, and uh, generally the pastor does it, but deacons can do that as well in the absence of a pastor. I think the church can designate somebody to baptize if there's no pastor. But that authority has been given to the church. And uh, those are the one, that's the church that has the authority. I've been familiar with some churches where uh, a parent of a child uh, the father of a child is given the opportunity, if he so chooses, to baptize. Do you have any concern with that from a biblical standpoint? I think if the church sanctions it, I don't think there should be a problem. It, the, the matter is the authority resides within the church. If the church sanctions that, I should not, I wouldn't have a problem with that. You know, it's not the man that baptizes this, or the pastor, or whatever. That's not the, that's not, that, that doesn't change anything, to be honest with you. And I think that... Um, we need to understand. Sometimes we give so much authority to pastors that we almost make them think as though they're some kind of superhuman beings. But it's saved that you're saved, and uh, they have a lot of the issues you've got. And uh, the church is where the authority is vested, and that's where people in the church need to understand that, and that the church has been vested with that authority. Pastors got to be very, very careful to understand that the authority does not reside in themselves. It's in, vo- it's, it's, it's in the body of Christ. We've got 30 minutes left in the program tonight. If you have a question, go ahead and call 268-462-7420. If you want to WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 1-268-782-1454. Or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook live video feed, and then comment your questions beside or under the video feed depending on how your media device is set up. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 828, and we are discussing the topic of debt. But if you have a question about any other topic or about debt, feel free to contact us. Pastor, you are mentioning that there's justifiable debt. Yeah, I mentioned that, and I also like to say that besides that, there's different types of debt. For example, there's a kind of debt I call irresponsible debt. That is where you rush uh, irrational how you spend, foolish decisions that are made that are unrelated to your needs or your income. There's what I call also imprudent uh, debt, where you find uh, you want to fund a lifestyle that's beyond your capacity. Uh, I mean, do we need the, 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 the new um, whatever? Do we need to have uh, the, the, the expensive vacation? Uh, that may not be necessary. Do we need a, a whatever? Um, but what I'm saying is imprudent if 
uh, if it, make sure that it's something that you really need to do rather than spending imprudently. And then emergency debt as well. There's something happen like a sudden illness, uh, a loss of a job, a natural disaster that makes expenditure necessary. And then there's another kind of debt I call altruistic debt. That is where you, you incur debt basically to help someone, maybe a family member or maybe a very close friend. I don't normally recommend it for, uh, you know, but there are times when to help somebody, you might incur debt. So there's justifiable debt, there's irresponsible debt, imprudent debt, there's emergency debt, and I think there's also altruistic debt. So the different types of debt, but uh, some debt definitely is definitely uh, justifiable. For the listener who says, Pastor... I find myself with some irresponsible debt. I'm impulsive in some of my purchases, especially when there's something that I uh, really, really want. How should I control that impulsive purchase? Yeah. Well, I am going to deal with that at some point in okay. time. But let me just mention there uh, again, I think that we have to decide as individuals, are we going to be controlled by the world's thinking, the world's philosophy that is a consumer-driven philosophy that we don't relate our expenditure to our income? I think the biggest problem is that we are so conditioned, our mind is so influenced by worldly thinking that because we live by the standard the world has set for us, we need to go back to biblical principles. We need to go back to biblical foundations that help us to get a handle on this situation. It's not going to happen without returning to biblical norms and biblical st- and biblical principles. So I think that is one of the key things that we have to go back and establish what is our priorities. What's your priority in life? I mean, what's, what's, really, what's your priority? Is it um, to own a home? Is it to... Um, have designer clothes? Is it to be thought successful? Is it to present some kind of an image? What's your priority in life? And then I ask yourself the question, what are the biblical priorities for a Christian? And I mean, I can think of four right off the, off the bat. The kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So how is this expenditure related to that principle of seeking the kingdom of God? I'm to glorify God in my life. How does that expend your help help to glorify God? It might, in a very way, uh, diminish His glory because when I can't pay my debt and I've learned that I'm a Christian, uh, it brings my Christianity into disrepute. And they begin to question that, you know. And then the pursuit of holiness, that's a priority uh, for the believer. So I think it has a matter to do with uh, setting your priorities, but also going back to what are the biblical principles that govern the matter of borrowing and expenditure and, and finance. As again, the Bible is not an exhaustive book on this matter, but God's Word touches every area of our lives, and He lays down the broad principles uh, to help us in that regard. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can call one 462 7420 You can WhatsApp or text your question to one 268 7821454 If you're in Antigua and you're looking for a good Bible preaching church, we are not trying to draw you away from your church if it is teaching scripture scriptural uh, doctrines, but we would love for you to visit Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace if you are looking for a Bible preaching church. Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. The service follows at 10 a.m. And Thursday nights, we have Bible study and prayer meeting at 7 p.m. Again, that is Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace on Rowan Henry Street in Antigua. Pastor, as we continue to discuss debt, 
are there, if I'm a Christian, am I immune from debt, or is this just a, a worldly thing? You would think that Christians would be more mature and uh, have a better handle on their finances. But the sad reality is um, there's not much difference between the Christian attitude towards money and the unsaved person attitude. And I think that's because mm. of the worldly philosophy. That's why Paul tells us, be not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world fit you into this mold. We are driven by advertising like uh, like the unsaved man is. And, it, and we got to understand what this is doing. This is creating a need that is not there and a want that is not there. It's making us dissatisfied. We must have the latest. And people are getting more impatient. So uh, 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 the computer now is too slow. And every year, but every it used to be every five years, it might be every three years now, they come out with the higher speed, this new feature. And by the way, a lot of the features, people hardly ever use them, to be honest with you. But to be up with the, with the, um, the, the group, you um, you know, and I think we got to be very, very careful with that. We got to be more prudent how we spend money because these things are not inexpensive. And sometimes uh, I know I was just thinking, Nathan, uh, uh, we just sent some money to uh, some people in Philippines for Christmas. And you know what their dream is? To have a chicken for Christmas. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, that's all they have for Christmas is, is a yeah. chicken. That's what they want. We spend thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars on a cell phone, maybe twenty five hundred. Maybe I, maybe I don't even know what it costs now, right? Some of them are more than that. Well, if I you're know. talking EC numbers, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's ridiculous, right? And then we change them so frequently. Uh, I think that we have to come back to understand uh, Christian responsibility in terms of being good stewards of our resources. And I, I really think the church um, needs to perhaps even help people understand how to manage that aspect of their life. But it's a very sad reality that um, Christians are in debt just like unsaved people are in debt. And often it's the same motivation. And that is a shocking thing because we ought to be wise and prudent. And we ought to have more self-control than the man that does not say. But because we are imbibed, every single day we're imbibing philosophy on the radio, on the television... It's so conditioning our mind that before we know it, we've sucked up the philosophy and we're living by the same standard of the unsafe person. I think it's very, very unfortunate. We've got to do some changing to, to, to make that um, different. I'm not sure it's possible to completely categorize all of mankind into this question, but why do people get into debt? Um, I want to perhaps um, suggest to you that really I don't think the problem of debt is really a money problem. That seems a shock. Okay. okay. <laughs> I really think it's fundamentally a attitudinal problem that we have, a, a way we think. Okay. Um, I think that is the primary reason why we get into debt, and I'll explain to you the attitudes that we have adopted that has created this 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 debt mentality that we have. The the, the other thing I would like to to say as well, uh, Nathan, is this that. I think also sometimes it might seem very crude to say this and, and, and very basic to say this, but I think sometimes it's, it's, it's pure ignorance. I'm not mean that people are dumb, don't misunderstand me. For example, we go to school and we get all the education in the world that we, the reason why we get an education is because we want to get a job to make money. The funny thing about the school is that they never tell us how to manage the money when we make the money. So they just teach us basically how to get a job, how to get whatever it is. But the idea of 
controlling money, managing money and spending money, we don't get that. So education not always to be equal with common sense. And I think that sometimes uh, people get into debt because they don't really reason this whole thing. And, and sometimes it's just pure ignorance. Um, and I think that's one. But I think the primary reason really has to do with our, our attitudes uh, as people. And um, these unbiblical attitudes, Nathan, there's several of them that I would probably like to share with you for just a minute. One of those is, is pride. You'd be surprised how destructive pride is. But I'm too proud to live in a certain type of house. Okay. Okay. I want to live in a wall house. I want to live in a wooden house. Okay. I want to live in a five-bedroom house. I want to live in a two-bedroom house, even though there's only two people in the house. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because the image. Pride has a lot of that. Um, I don't want to drive the old car because my image. So what happened? I, I expense myself in that regard. I don't want to live in a certain geographical area because those people are, you know, they're not with my class. Again, foolish pride. Uh, I don't want to wear, I want to wear something that makes an impression. So I want designer stuff and designer shoes and designer, even though my budget cannot afford it, right? And I think that's what pride does to us. So whether I can afford it or not, uh, this extravagance that I go to, uh, because I want to be thought successful, I want to create a certain image, what it does to me is that pride goes before destruction. So I begin to spend money that I cannot afford to spend. And I think sometimes that attitude of pride and not humbling ourselves to live within our budget, I think that that is one of the things that foster this, this debt crisis. The other thing is covetousness. I want what other people have. I want to keep up with my peers. I want, um, maybe I got a family member. I'm the older one, but the younger one is, is making strides. I can't afford that mom and dad view him more successful than I am. So I got to go on a spending spree and I got to get whatever he gets or even more than he gets. Uh, my neighbor, I, I got to compete with my neighbor or my co-worker. Uh, I got to keep up with the Joneses. So it's not no pride now. It's the covetousness that, that is there. And a covetous spirit is like hell. It's never satisfied. And if we have a covetous spirit, no matter what we have, we're never going to be satisfied. So we got to keep spending. And often, because our uh, desires cannot be satisfied, we don't ever have enough to really meet those desires. And, and that creates problem. The other thing, I think, uh, Nathan, another attitude is what you call a, a sense of self-entitlement, a little different than covetousness. By this I mean, we feel that we deserve the best in life. We don't feel that anybody uh, has a right to have anything that we ourselves do not have. So we should not ever have any kind of deprivation. We are entitled to this. So our desires uh, is to enjoy the best uh, enjoy the nicest, the coolest, and the biggest. It is based on this false concept of, of entitlement. So we're not prepared to suffer any um, setback or any uh, inadequacy or uh, any shortcoming or, uh, you know, any deep, any privation at all. We just, that's, that's our mindset, this, this thing. The other thing is, is what I call lack of contentment. Today, contentment is a word that is found only two places, in the Bible, in the dictionary. It's not found outside those two realms. And every voice around us screams to us to tell us that we're missing something, 
uh, that we need something, that we're entitled to something. So no matter what we have, we never it's never nice enough, it's never sufficient enough, it's never new enough, it's never fast enough, it's never stylish enough, never attractive enough, never cool enough. So that, that lack of contentment is what helps to fuel our spending and spending and spending and overspending uh, what we don't have. Uh, a fifth thing I would mention here is a lack of self-discipline. We have lost the matter of uh, control. We have become incontinent. We, we are not no longer living within our means and our income, and we have not established any financial parameters to guide us to stay within uh, the, th- those, that, that, that border. And because we don't have this kind of discipline, uh, we spend freely, and before we know it, we find ourselves in debt because we seem to lack discipline. We can't have um, success in ma- managing debt unless we understand this need for some kind of discipline. I mentioned to you and uh, at the beginning that the average U.S. person spends 120%, 22% of his income. Now, that sounds kind of ridiculous, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's the reality because people are spending more than they make. And you think that's a problem here in the Caribbean, too? I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. As I said, uh, America is in, is in microcosm of what is going on in the Western world in terms of uh, credit and, and debt. And uh, there are people here that I advise in counseling to cut up your credit card because there's so much debt, but the idea of the illusion of being able to purchase things and have things, and all it is doing is sending up the debt, and the interest rate on that is is so astronomical. Sometimes you don't even realize how much the interest rate is. They just keep using it. Uh, So I think it's not just a problem in America and the other developing countries, but in these third world countries that are now whatever you want to call them, um, we're also faced with this illusion of having plastic money that makes it so much easier, and we're not going to deprive ourselves of anything. But the the fact is that it's not just individuals, uh, Nathan; it's governments as well, yep. and it's, it's, it's businesses as well. Uh, there's so many there are businesses that that um, overspend. I remember in Barbados there was a. A company called um, a Trinidadian company came in and bought up so many different things, and they started expanding here and expanding here and expanding here and expanding. And before you know it, uh, they started closing and closing and closing because they expanded too much, and uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but that happens is is again it's the matter of lacking the discipline of living within certain restraints, etc. Uh, and then the other one is that I think we got wrong priorities. And when I talk priorities, I'm talking about referring to putting things first in our lives. What are our primary goals? What are our primary objectives? And you will always know a person's priorities by um, three things. Number one, the amount of time they spend on that particular thing. Number two, the amount of effort that exerted by them in that particular thing and the amount of thought that is given to that particular thing. And generally, the other thing is the amount of money you spend on it. So those are really four things you could always, you could always know what a person's priority, but look at the amount of time they spend, uh, looking at the amount of effort that's exerted in, on that particular thing, and the amount of thought that is given, not just during the day, but on the evenings, at nights, etc., and the amount of money they spend on it. And I think one of the biggest problems uh, today is that our priorities are skewed. And I asked the question a moment ago, what's our priority? Is it happiness? Is it pleasure? Is it success? Is it wealth creation? Is it enjoy the good things of life? 
is to make a name for myself. What's my priority? And that's why I say to you, and uh, the matter of prioritizing now is an important thing when we begin to deal with the whole matter of debt. And I mentioned to you, Nathan, that our priority should be the kingdom of God, it should be the glory of God, and it should be the will of God, and of course, godliness is, is should be a priority. So I think because our priorities are skewed, uh, we find ourselves in the pursuit of things that are secondary, but they become primary in our lives. And so we invest in, in those things and it, it just escalates our debt. Number four that you mentioned there was a lack of contentment. And all you have to do is watch half of a TV commercial. And whether it's a vehicle commercial, whether it's a medicine commercial, they are there to sell you on the fact that you need what they're selling. So my question to you, Pastor, is, if I find myself struggling to be content, should I go as far as to remove myself from watching commercials, watching television? Whatever it takes to cut off that influence, you have got to do it. Otherwise, it's, it's, if this thing is making you discontented and creating um, problems in your life and problems in, in your management of your finances, you have to act responsibly. If this is the avenue that is creating the environment that is making this desire uh, in me to, to overspend, you have to somehow block that out. And if you don't do it, you're not being responsible. And if you keep watching it, it's like a guy who um, has a weakness for uh, the penthouse. Yeah. Okay, he's got a weakness for the penthouse, but he travels by the penthouse every evening. I mean, if he is, his problem is the penthouse, you get a route that bypasses the penthouse, but he's irresponsible if he knows that's his problem, but he keeps going in the same direction to see the same because it's attractive again and again. It's like, uh, uh, suppose I'm traveling to, I mean, it might be unavoidable. Let's suppose there, I'm coming into Antigua, uh, into the city, but there's a big picture of a nude woman there uh, on, on the highway. I'm not saying it's there, but I know that's my that's a weakness. I, 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 I just... So what am I going to do? Is there only one way into the city? Yeah. There might be four ways into the city. So what I do, I bypass that. I don't let that. And I'm irresponsible if I know that's my weakness and I do nothing about it. God will help us. But we are responsible moral beings that have to make tough decisions. And if it's the, 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 the advertising is invading the home and creating this discontent, it would be wise for uh, the person who finds that to minimize the exposure to it. And that might need controlling it. It might need turning it off. It might be in, using, being discreet in what you watch. And then when the, when the thing, use, use your, your clip. Knock it off as soon as it comes off because it's going to create those kind of desires. But it's not going to happen unless you have the discipline uh, to do it. And it must be something we do for ourselves because we are responsible human moral beings. Do you think it's possible, Pastor, that you can be influenced to be uh, non-content, lack of contentment, Repeat without realizing? Do you think it's possible to become uh, lacking in contentment because of watching commercials and not really realize it, just that it's become so subtle? Yeah, I think I, I think that is uh, very, very um, proper to say, and I believe that as well it, it happens more frequently than people understand. It's like uh, it's like me, if I might use an illustration, this might um, surprise the audience, but it's like you driving a vehicle and you're, you're humming a song that's not a Christian song. 
but you don't play that music in your home. But what has happened in neighbor every single, and we've got that where we're living now, by the way. Mm. There are two uh, things that, that happened that day that are so loud. And so you are not conscious. Uh, but it's, it's you're sleeping, and it's coming in your, it's in your subconscious. It's in your subconscious. And before you know it, when you sing, you should be singing a gospel song, you're humming, you say, well, what in the world is happening? And I think that's what happens to a lot of things that we watch, that we're not aware of the impact that is happening on the inside. And I, so I do think it can happen. Uh, and until we begin to examine ourselves and investigate how we got to this condition and really take some measures to deal with the problem, because unless we identify the source of the problem, we can never cure the problem. And that's why we might need to do some real thinking. I must never have a person like this. How come I'm... This is everything I want now. And no matter what my husband or my wife does, I seem to be so discontent. What's creating it, right? I think it's time to do a real uh, analysis on this matter and, and get to the bottom of what is creating this, this discontent. We're discussing debt here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. There's eight minutes left in the program, so you still have enough time to quickly call in or send in your question if you would like to. The phone number to be put live on the air is 268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Pastor, why is debt so bad or harmful? Well, there, there are several reasons uh, for it, and uh, maybe you share some with you, uh, Nathan. One of the um, why why debt one of the reasons why debt is is harmful and, and bad for people really is that debt really causes you to pay more than the for example than items cost for example that is one of the basic fundamental problems for example if you purchase a living uh, room set uh, for two thousand dollars okay and you use your credit card at eleven percent interest uh, and you pay off the minimum payments by the time you pay off that you have spent $3,600 so you've lost $1,600 but the illusion of that is manageable when you really sit down and count the cost of that you can see that in actual fact that $1,600 that you spent extra could have been done what? could have been savings so I think that's one of the things that it is bad. It really eats into your, your savings. And uh, you want to always, no matter how much you work for, I would say that you must try at least to put aside 10% of whatever you work for as part of your savings. But debt uh, causes you to pay more, far more than something cost. And it has the appearance of um, that you are getting a bargain, but you're not. That's why, um, for example, you've got to watch when you go to courts and all these other people offer higher purchase agreements. Always try to look at what the interest rate is so that you don't think you're getting And it seems nice. You know, I, I need a, a, a washing machine. It costs $2,800. I don't have that $2,800 right now, but I can get that course for $16 a month. <laughs> by, the <time> you, <laughs> by the time you finish paying for that, you almost pay twice what, you, what, what it is worth. Yeah. Uh, you should look at other alternatives in a, in a case like that. So I think that's one of the things that makes you uh, spend more than it costs. The other thing is that it makes you spend more than you can really, really afford. And it puts the allure of it is that the uh, emotional high that you get from having something new and having it now 
uh, without having to deal with the immediate pain of parting with money is so attractive. But in the long term, what happens with it is that it encourages you uh, to actually keep on spending more than you can. It almost seems as though you're getting something for nothing when you buy something on credit. I mean, I don't have to fork out $2,800 right now. I just fork out $1,600. I'm going to enjoy this washing machine for, for a long time. So really, to the fact, it really uh, encourages you to, to keep on spending more than you can really afford. The illusion, uh, I think, is what tempts people to keep on this kind of spending. But again, that illusion eventually turns into a painful reality when you really sit down and it, well, wait a minute, I thought I paid off this thing uh, six months ago. No, it's another six months ago. And then when you sat down, okay, let me sit down and see exactly how much money I really spent. Then you almost want to ball your belly out because what happened? It costs you, I mean, I didn't have to do this. Yeah. And sometimes, by the way, it might be, it might be possible if you've got a family member that if you are a person that's trustworthy, um, you know, if they're a real good relationship, See if they would borrow, lend you the money, and um, we'll learn later that the Bible is really against Christians charging Christian interest. I'm not talking business people, no, but I'm talking individuals. I mean, I want to borrow something, well, I'm going to lend you that ten percent interest. Uh, the Bible says you shouldn't charge your brother interest. But I think it's situations where you can might have a, a, a brother with means or, you know. And I think that if you are a person with response, I didn't know you're going to pay them back. I wouldn't mind lending somebody if I had money uh, and they want to buy something and they say, Pastor, I will pay you back, whatever it is. Provided that person is trustworthy and I really think it's a good cause, I would rather lend them than have to put them in, in, in have to go into debt. That's the honest truth. And I think that sometimes those are avenues that need to be explored. Don't get uh, too excited. I'm not going to give out Pastor's phone number for you to contact them. <laughs> Pastor, I recently heard someone say that the bank, that a bank was offering a 10-year loan on a vehicle. I don't know the bank, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I can't even imagine a vehicle after 10 years still paying. <laughs> at, the, at the end of 10 years, you're wanting to get it resprayed. You're you're needing to get the rust repaired, the shocks replaced. And, and, but you know, that, that song's so easy. Yeah. It really does sound easy. 10 years. And and, and, the, 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 no, and by the way, they look at your income, so they make you say, you can handle this. But again, remember that banks only make money on interest. So it's in their interest to, to, to encourage you to, 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 uh, to, to go into loans because without interest, they don't make any money. They make money. That's what keeps them going. So the more money you borrow, uh, you know, so, but I can see the attraction of that. But good thing for me, Nathan, that I, I must say that I guess because I'm a pastor, because I was brought up, I am not an extravagant, I'm a very cheap person. Very, very cheap person. I don't buy anything that I don't have to buy, and I don't spend money I don't have to spend. Uh, and it's not because I am uh, greedy. It's not because, uh, but it's just that I have to manage money properly, and I'm not going to let um, advertising or whatever, whatever it is. I would rather have savings than to have nice things, because for me uh, at my age and whatever I'm, I think more about my family than I think about myself I think about you know when I die what happens to them I'm more concerned about that than I am concerned about enjoying anything right now that's my mindset okay so I don't but I can see banks um, doing this kind of thing and I can see people taking advantage of it because one thing I've learned here and I hope no, I hope I'm not uh, going to raise the ire of Antiguans but I was told the antiques don't like secondhand stuff. I remember when I first came here, 
uh, when I was in St. Lucia, I could get a lot of stuff from the States for people like use like use clothing. I mean, good stuff. I thought of doing something like that sometime, and I was told that very early, that this is not what people in Antigua, they just don't like secondhand stuff. So I can see the bank taking advantage of that, right? They'd rather get a secondhand car that you can buy and you own, you can get this new car for 10 years. <laughs> so the attract to me, a vehicle is to get from point A to point B. Right? Yep. That, that's reliable. Right? Reliable, yeah. right? But, uh, and again, bankers know this. So they're going to exploit it. And the more they can extend this credit period and reduce the monthly payments, it seems so attractive. I can see that it's part of what I call the, um, the greed of the, the, the banker uh, that I talked about a moment ago, this, this, this plastic money, this, this paper money. And remember that their, their, their uh, bonus is linked a lot to their sales. So they have an ulterior motive as well. As you mentioned that, and we've got just over a minute left in the program, can a believer be a banker? Can a believer be employed at a bank? Of I don't course. want us to give the wrong impression. Yeah, No, definitely. A believer can be uh, a, a banker. Um, I believe a believer can be an, an advertising agency as well. I believe that. But again, his principles must govern what he does. When I'm dealing, when he's dealing with somebody, even though he has an incentive that he's gonna, his, his uh, bonus is going to go up, he can increase um, people getting into mortgage, he still has to reasonably advise those people from a Christian conscience. If I can see as a banker that you cannot afford this, I'm not going to force you to get the loan knowing that down the line you're going to lose your house because that's what happens a lot. When, when you don't pay your debt, the bank takes over your house and all the money you've paid before goes down the road. Uh, so I think a, a person can be in a responsible position being a banker, but let his Christian principles govern how he deals with people. If you've been enjoying this program, if you feel that you uh, would like some more advice on debt, we will continue this topic next week and talk about what the Bible says about debt. But let me encourage you to tune in to another program that we have on the Lighthouse, a very short program entitled My Money Life. It airs every weekday morning at 7.10 a.m. and at 1 p.m. Very short, to the point, little snippets talking about debt, and it's pertinent for the time of year that we are also. As we're coming up on Christmas, he talks about the importance of being sure that you spend within your means. So be sure that you listen to My Money Life at 7.10 in the mornings and 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, if you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.